You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome everybody to Monday afternoon right here at Fired Up Radio on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. Hey everybody, this is Steve. I host the show each week as we get into what's going on in the political world here in the United States. Hope everybody had a great weekend and has a great start to the week happening. So let's uh, get right into it. We've got a pretty full plate today to talk about. But as always, we're going to start it off with our update and our wrap up of where we are with regard to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, We are sitting at 47.06 million people who have contracted the disease. And uh, 763,000 people have unfortunately passed away from COVID. Uh, 436.5 million people have been vaccinated, and that continues to be an increase. And we're seeing a slight uptick in the rate of vaccinations here in the country, and that too is a good thing. And uh, that vac- vaccination rate represents about 58.2% of the overall adult population. Uh, And by the way, remember, the uh, FDA and CDC have approved at least one vaccine for uh, children ages 5 to 11. Uh, Again, good news for you parents out there who have not been able to send your kids to live school or in-person schooling because of COVID. Uh, If you get them vaccinated, they will be able to join their peers in class uh, and allow you maybe to get back to work or, you know, whatever else uh, you're doing as a parent these days. So with that being said, let's get right into the news topics that have crossed the line over the last week. And um, as as you've probably heard, if you've been following any of the media outlets, the uh, House and Senate uh, passed the bipartisan infrastructure bill That was the smaller of the two packages that have been moved uh, into the uh, House and Senate for approval. And uh, by the time you're hearing this, uh, it is likely that President Biden has signed that bill uh, into law and will get at least that part of the infrastructure package uh, rolling out the door. And that's a good thing both Uh, for the country in terms of our infrastructure and the things that we need done. Uh, And uh, politically, for Democrats, uh, this would count as a win. And uh, notable about this bill, we're going to talk about this for a a few minutes. So throughout the process, uh, the Republicans in the House and in the Senate have said how uh, they thought that the bill was too expensive, too expansive, included things that uh, weren't necessarily considered, quote, infrastructure, close quote, and uh, basically looked like they were not going to be supportive uh, of the bill as it, you know, progressed through the the two bodies. Uh, Well, on the so-called bipartisan bill, uh, where... You know, we had Republicans that uh, agreed to the bill in the Senate and um, Republicans that came across the aisle to agree with it in the House. Uh, that proved to be a good thing. Um, you know, infrastructure in this country, when we were talking, when we we're talking about roads and bridges and, you know, construction projects and highways and railways and so forth, Uh, Historically, these have always been bipartisan uh, legislation that has gone through and has been, you know, approved by both parties going through. Uh, It doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. If you've got highways in your state or in your district that need to be fixed, if you've got bridges or infrastructure, schools, you know, hospitals, any of these things, uh, it is in your best interest, regardless of your political party, uh, to get these things done for your constituents. That's why we send you there, so that these kinds of things that the federal government is best equipped to deal with on a national scale get done. 
So the, the idea that one party or the other would opt out of something that, you know, benefits, you know, everybody uh, somewhat equally uh, has not seemed to make a whole lot of sense over the last few years. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, there was a news article that came out from uh, the Microsoft uh, MSN network. Uh, and, you know, it uh, said this came out, uh, well, from when this show was airing, this came out uh, on, on Saturday, that, you know, President Biden uh, hosted a ceremony today to sign the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Some Republicans who support the package don't plan or didn't plan on showing up. Uh, the article outlines that uh, some GOP backers of the, the infrastructure bill, excuse me, uh, will skip the signing ceremony. And, um, you know, keep in mind that the bill passed its final hurdle in the House of Representatives uh, with most Democrats and 13 additional Republicans uh, in support of it. Uh, and, you know, just again, this bill and its its path through the Senate and through the House have just highlighted the the acrimony and divisions that we have in this country, and it's something you know we'll we'll touch on this in a little bit. Um, but you know some of the notables, uh, and again, as I record this show uh, before the actual signing event has transpired, um, I don't know a final count of how many Republicans or which ones show up. Uh, but, you know, one that is projected to be a no-show is the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Uh, the, the article cites that the Re Kentucky Republican was among 19 Senate Republicans who voted for the infrastructure bill back in August and whose support was seen as critical to drawing other GOP votes. According to a radio interview uh, this past Thursday, where he announced that he wouldn't attend the, the event, he said, and I quote, No, I've got other things I've got to do rather than going to a signing ceremony, he said. Um, you know, he, McConnell has defended the legislation and noted that it includes about $5.1 billion uh, earmarked for Kentucky for roads, bridges, and broadband. And he said, I think it was good for the country, and I'm glad it's passed. And those are quotes. And if you recall, last week, as we talked about this, as this event was coming up on the horizon, I, I reminded you to keep an eye out for you know, Republicans who didn't support the bill, but yet will now stand up in front of the media and the cameras and the press and tout how this is something that they got done for the American people. Uh, we need to make sure there are 19 Senate Republicans uh, that can honestly and deservedly take credit for having worked to pass this bill. The rest of them, if they are taking credit and we, we saw this happen with the Affordable Care Act, you know, um, you know, more than you know, 15 years ago, where you know Republicans were adamantly opposed to it until it passed, and then they were standing out in front, you know, sounding the trumpets and waving the flag, saying, "Look what we did for you, America." So, you know, we we've got to make sure that where we see this political hypocrisy that we call them out on it and that we make it a you know the the subject of you know our our tweets and our posts and our TikToks and chats and all of that to say and tell them that you oppose this throughout the process and now that it's passed and signed into law now you're standing behind it like you've been there from day one well we know better Mr. or Ms. Uh, representative or or senator we know better all right so McConnell is is slated to be a no-show and as I said I don't know at the time I'm recording this show 
whether or not he changed his mind and showed up. Uh, we will see. Stay tuned. Um, you know, it, it is, again, unusual for infrastructure packages to go through on what's mostly a party line vote. Uh, but in this era of hyper-polarized politics, uh, we can't honestly say that we're surprised by it. Um, you know, one, one of the things that I think the GOP lawmakers are looking at is the reaction from other members of their party uh, to the fact that they joined with Democrats to pass this bill in the House and in the Senate. Uh, and, you know, apparently they are being ostracized within their own party uh, for, you know, being, you know, turncoats and put that in quotation marks and traitors and so on and so forth. When in true fact, they are actually standing up and doing what they were elected to go to Washington and do. And that is to represent the best interests of their constituents. So, you know, uh, these, these uh, Republicans or, or others who are highly critical include the usual cast of characters. Of course, former President Donald Trump uh, was quoted as saying, Republicans who voted for the bill, quote, should be ashamed of themselves, close quote, for giving Mr. Biden and Democrats a victory. Uh, GOP representative uh, Marjorie Greene of Georgia called the 13 uh, House members who voted yes in the House traitors. She actually went so far as to tweet out their phone numbers and trigger a, an avalanche of hate calls and texts and, and messages and posts and social media against the 13 uh, representatives that voted in favor of the bill. And again, you know, the, the obvious uh, and perhaps not so obvious hypocrisy of these actions uh, speak volumes about where we are uh, politically in general and where the Republican Party is politically uh, in, in specifics. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, a uh, Republican from California, had urged lawmakers to vote against the bill, saying its passage would make it easier for Democrats to move a separate $2 trillion social policy and climate bill, which Republicans uniformly reject. Uh, you know, so it, it, it's clear that the battle lines now that the bipartisan bill, which is primarily so-called hard infrastructure, uh, has passed and is signed into law, that the so-called soft infrastructure bill, which includes uh, more social, social-based programs and, um, you know, childhood education and, you know, health-related and so on and so forth, um, the battle lines are, are now being drawn uh, for Republicans to dig in their heels more firmly uh, to stand against us. Um, one, of the, one of the Republican House members who uh, crossed the line and voted with the Democrats uh, summed it up pretty well like this. It says, the 13 of us feel like we've been mainstays with him, and I, they're speaking about uh, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy, and we feel like we've been taken for granted. Uh, and, quote, by the way, we won't be taken for granted anymore, close quote. You know, so, you know, it, it's, it's absolutely um, hypocritical. Um, you know, one of the, one of the, Congress members, uh, Michigan Representative Fred Upton, uh, has been in the news talking about how not only has he received uh, death threats uh, for voting yes, um, he also has said that you know his family have been threatened, his children have been threatened, uh, and some others uh, are saying the same things that they have received some very very uh, pointed and directed threats against them as a result of them voting for the bill. Now, something else to note, um, the bill did not receive uh, unanimous Democratic support 
there were six Democrats who voted no, um, and those were primarily from the progressive caucus within the Democratic Party. Um, so the 13 Republican votes uh, helped to offset, and the bill ended up passing 228 to 206. Um, you know, it is interesting to note that, you know, we had 13 Republicans come over to support the bill and, thir and six Democrats who voted opposed to it. Uh, again, you know, I think our call to action and our, our call to awareness has to be, let's see who the uh, people are who come out and, and give the rah-rah speeches about the infrastructure plan and what a great thing it is and how they were you know, so helpful and, and so blessed to be part of it and you know, so on and so forth. Uh, if their name isn't on the list of uh, House representatives and senators who voted in favor of that bill, uh, I think we need to call BS on them and let them know visibly and vocally that you know you you might be able to try and take credit but we're not going to let you get away with it cleanly so you know let's let's see what happens the next stage now is it moves on to the larger uh, soft infrastructure bill um, general wisdom is that you know right now it is a a crapshoot as to whether or not uh, it will pass its final hurdle and make it to the president's desk unscathed. Uh, we shall see. The Senate will take it up. They are likely going to uh, make some modifications or changes to it, which means it will then have to go to a reconciliation committee who, who will resolve the differences and hopefully present a, a final bill that you know, both Democrats and hopefully some Republicans will be able to support. Now, keep in mind, you know, some other things that can have an impact on this is there is both a uh, government funding deadline coming up as well as a, a vote to raise the debt ceiling that are both coming up within the next few weeks that are going to absorb some of the oxygen in the room in terms of uh, you know legislative uh, bandwidth with which they can look at and you know uh, debate and approve the infrastructure bill, so you know we're gonna we need to keep a close eye. We need to make sure we're in communication with our elected officials and you know hold them accountable really to getting all three things done. Um, you know it, it's clear that. Uh, you know, not uh, funding the government should not be an option. Uh, not raising the debt ceiling uh, would create uh, fairly substantial tidal waves of economic impact around the world. And, you know, the infrastructure bill is critically needed uh, to help our country recover and come back from the effects of the pandemic. So it is something that our leaders and our legislators need to get done. So we will keep an eye on it. We will keep you posted as always. Uh, and if you have comments or questions on it, uh, please, uh, I'm putting the call out. Send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, check in on our Facebook page, also at Fired Up Radio on Facebook. And, you know, post your opinion, respond to uh, the posts that will go up uh, regarding, you know, this show and, and the subjects we're going to cover. Uh, and and let's let's communicate. Let's dialogue. Let's talk about this. The you know, the discussion over the second bill is, uh, as I as I've mentioned, an ongoing thing. And it is not really uh, a, a clean discussion to be had. One of the elements that uh, the progressive caucus of the Democratic Party is waiting to receive is what is known as the CBO score. Uh, that is the report that comes out from the Congressional Budget Office, which is going to tell lawmakers uh, what this bill is going to cost and, you know, uh, what the level of funding to pay for it is. And, you know, is it going to impact the deficit? 
Uh, is it going to have an impact on inflation, uh, which are two key components of concern right now uh, with you know, the, the inflation number being something that is worrying a lot of political leaders who fear that you know, the spending levels that we are incurring both in combating the pandemic as well as the uh, discretionary things that we're doing with these bills is going to lead to a, a further increase in the rate of inflation. Over the last uh, month, six weeks or so, we have seen uh, inflation tick up slightly. Uh, the Federal Reserve has not yet taken any actions of substance to address uh, some type of controls for inflation, but that remains to be seen as to what they'll take up as these two bills uh, come you know, to fruition and you know, spending on them begins. So, you know, we are we are definitely seeing some, you know, some significant economic impacts. Uh, You need only have recently filled up the gas tank in your car to see, you know, how much, you know, gasoline prices have gone up, for example. Uh, Food prices are are rising. Uh, so if you've gone grocery shopping within the last you know, month, six weeks or, or so, uh, you've seen the, the cost of goods at your local supermarkets have gone up. Uh, we're still feeling the impacts of the supply chain disruptions uh, that have been going on for uh, about three months or longer uh, with goods being stacked up and, and delayed at ports of entry. Uh, all, all over the country, on both sides uh, of the country. Uh, the holidays are coming up and, you know, people are worried that, you know, that the, the presents they're looking to purchase uh, aren't in the stores, you know, that there are, are delays and back orders and so forth. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done at the federal and the state level uh, in order to address some of these uh, kitchen table needs that you know the average American has, you know this this isn't a rich thing poor thing. We all you know have to put gasoline in our cars if we're going if we're going to work. We've all got to feed our families, um, you know, and we we still are suffering from some of the effects of the pandemic in terms of economic impacts, which you know, need to be addressed. And, you know, we're looking to our leaders uh, to, uh, uh, to address them. So, you know, we, we need to be keeping these uh, items in front of our leadership and keep them focused, uh, you know, Republican or Democrat. Uh, we need to make sure that they understand this is what the people that sent them to their jobs expect them to get done. Uh, that needs to be the message that's communicated. This is what we sent you to Washington, or this is what we sent you to the state capitol to do. Uh, you know, get it done. You know, don't don't waste our time arguing back and forth and having all these posturing battles and and personality con- contests. Get some work done. Let's get this done. Let's get this moving because that's what's going to build this country back. That's what's going to make us stronger. That's what's going to help drive down the cost of goods, you know, and help check inflation, uh, you know, bring more revenue into the economy and so forth. So as always, our, our call to action, what we encourage in this show, what I personally uh, uh, hope that everyone is doing is communicating with your elected officials whether they are your local city council, your school board, your mayors, your governors, all the way up through the House of Representatives and the Senate and all the way up to the White House. Let's let them know what our expectations of them are. That's, that's our role. That's what we do. We do it when we elect them and we do it when we follow up after the election and hold their feet to the fire for the reasons why we elected them. So, you know, just some, something to think about on that level. Uh, we'll take our first break here. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. And we'll be right back after the break. 
Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I gotta tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your story is so... uh, Interesting? Yeah. (laughs) When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. And welcome back. Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio's reimagined. All right. Uh, we're going to open up and, and follow up on you know our redistricting process going on uh as i've said i you know we'll keep you guys up to date on what's happening and uh the first couple of weeks in november we've seen a a bunch of states uh, moving through the process some have already uh, proposed new district maps others have actually passed them most of them, as we'll get to in a minute, uh, have one type of dispute going on or another. So, you know, I, I want to highlight uh, what's going on in Utah as it's kind of representative of what we're seeing happening in, in several of the states around the country uh, as they work through the redistricting process. Uh, this article came out of the Associated Press uh, and it's dated a couple of days ago, uh, and it talks about uh, the redistricting maps uh, in Utah uh, largely ignore the recommendations of a voter-approved commission uh, and are sparking a backlash and highlighting the challenges that independent panels face in an era of deep political divisions and surging gerrymandering. Uh, Jump out of the article right there to kind of fill in a little of the background. Um, you know, be aware that many states uh, had brought forward legislation to create nonpartisan panels to handle the redistricting effort because the the politically partisan gerrymandering that was going on had, had gotten so out of control that, you know, districts were becoming, you know, unmanageable and not representative. And uh, in in large cases, uh, communities of interest, which is a, a, a code phrase for communities of color, um, were being you know, neglected uh, either intentionally or just mathematically from the, the process of being duly represented and equally represented as it's called for in the Constitution. So there were a few states that created these independent commissions Uh, specifically for the process of the once-in-a-decade redistricting effort. And the hope was that, you know, these members could work together to draw new voting districts free of partisan gerrymandering. In practice, however, uh, what's being reported is that commissions in Virginia and New York uh, have splintered along partisan lines. In Ohio, the majority Republicans passed state legislative maps over Democratic objections. And then in Utah, where, uh, which is the case in several states, uh, the lawmakers were under no legal obligation to use the, cr- the commission-created maps, and they didn't. Instead, they drew and approved their own maps in the span of less than a week, creating U.S. House districts that further carve up uh, you know, Democratic-leaning Salt Lake County, for example, to make that state's only swing district more reliably Republican. And we've talked about this many times uh, on this program, uh, going back to even, you know, at, at the start of the census, when, it, when we were still just counting, uh, we talked about how the, and what the importance of uh, di- redistricting was. So, you know, as I said, the uh, 
Utah legislature was under no obligation to use the maps proposed by the commission. Uh, and, you know, they created their own. Republican Governor Spencer Cox gave his approval to the new maps uh, this past Friday by signing the bill from the legislature. And almost immediately, the, the process generated protests, hundreds of angry comments at public hearings, and led supporters of the independent redistricting process to create a new political committee. Uh, and uh, according to Katie Wright, who is the executive director of the group Better Boundaries, she said, and I quote, when you rig districts to dilute the voice of voters or protect lawmakers from accountability, then you have a fundamental challenge with the whole system of democracy. Uh, so, you know, and, and we've talked about this before on this show, that the problem here is that, you know, partisan district selection or partisan gerrymandering uh, it, it, it really isn't in the best interest of the state or the country as a whole because there is unequal representation uh, in the government by whichever party controls the majorities uh, in the state legislatures uh, and thereby can create uh, the, the overwhelming representation or the unequal representation of one political party over another. Um, you know, and we talked about this last week where in, in one state, um, Republicans make up right around 50% of the constituency, but control 80% of the legislative seats. And you can go state by state around the country and see other examples of this. Uh, and, you know, the, the same is true, even at the federal level. Um, you know, if you look at the Senate, Democratic constituencies um, and independent constituencies that lean Democratic outnumber Republican constituencies uh, in the country, yet the Senate is split 50-50 as though they were equal. So, you know, getting back to, to talking about Utah, um, you know, there was, uh, of course, you know, anytime we've got these, these redistricting panels going on, uh, you have the, the, the claims that are made by either side, uh, you know, the Democrats uh, saying that the Republicans, if the Republicans are in control, uh, are generating maps that perpetuate Republican control, and the Republicans are singing the same song for states where the Democrats are in charge. Um, in Utah, for example, the Republican state lawmakers said that their maps better reflect the entire state by including both rural and urban voters in districts. They also noted that the state constitution gives them the power to draw voting maps and said they are better suited to the task as elected officials than the panel of appointees. So, you know, one, one might ask, and, and the article poses this question, uh, it's, it says that voters generally perceive redistricting to be fairer when done by independent commissions than when lawmakers draw their own maps, according to recent research by the University of Southern California. Said, but the key to creating uh, commissions that are truly independent, not comprised of politicians or merely advisory uh, to the legislature, uh, that's the key to making uh, districts that are uh, fairer and more representative. Uh, the truly independent commissions seem to be working so far. It's the other ones where the questions are coming up, that was cited in the article. Uh, and, you know, the article goes on to say, some commissions, such as those in Arizona, California, Colorado, and Michigan, consist solely of citizens who hold the final say on what maps to enact. By contrast, the commissions in Ohio and Virginia include politicians among their members. Those in New York and Virginia are like Utah in being required to sit, submit their maps to legislatures, legislators rather, for final approval. Herein lies the, the difficulty. So you can have an independent commission, 
that can draw up you know, uh, districts that are, you know, fairer and, and more equitable. But ultimately, if you then hand those maps to the, the state legislature, which is under partisan control by one party or the other, uh, who has the ability to reject them out of hand, um, then the whole commission process basically has been moot. And this is the problem that we're seeing in many of the states that uh, are under undertaking the redistricting efforts. And uh, there was a, an interesting article or a list of articles under the heading of redistricting in the Associated Press. And you know, let, let's, let's stroll down through them uh, and, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. So we'll start off, uh, this one uh, came out about the maps being drawn in South Carolina, and it says, you know, South Carolina House and Senate committees could soon send their proposed redistricting maps to their whole chambers. The House Judiciary Committee was scheduled to meet Tuesday to discuss the maps of the 124 House districts uh, late on November. And you know, the article says in another part that this is not without controversy as you know, one side is, is complaining that the other side, of course, is, is creating maps that are favorable to partisan control. Uh, another is progressives say Nevada redistricting maps split the Latino vote. Uh, and this is something that we are, are starting to see more and more as an issue with redistricting uh, where it is not just uh, the African-American vote that is in jeopardy, but uh, Latinos, which are the largest growing segment of the uh, population of color in the country in, in several areas, uh, like Texas, like California, um, are, are seeing the impacts of redistricting affecting their political uh, power as well. Uh, in Carson City, Nevada, is reported from the AP. A congressional district map that would bolster Democrats' advantage in Nevada swing districts is angering progressives who argue in the process it dilutes minority voting power by splitting Latinos across three districts. Um, you know, and this is also part of frustration from Republicans and progressive organizers, um, you know, again, the, the criticism is, you know, it, it's not fair to one group over another. Uh, in Virginia, the Supreme Court has rejected the GOP redistricting nominees. Uh, the Supreme Court of Virginia now tasked with drawing new legislative districts in the state to conform with the 2020 census has told Republicans to submit three new nominees to help in its task amid complaints that they are too partisan. And that arises out of the fact that three of the uh, uh, participants on the panel uh, were you know, political and were not acting in so-called good faith, we'll call it. Um, in Idaho, there are some new lawsuits uh, against their redistricting map. A uh, former state lawmaker said on Friday that Idaho's redistricting commission contending that the new map redrawing Idaho's 35 legislative districts is unconstitutional because it splits up more counties than necessary. Uh, again, Utah, as we mentioned, uh, redistricting maps that largely ignore the recommendation of a voter-approved commission, and that's generating backlash. Uh, another article, Emotions High in Ohio Fight Over New Congressional Map. Uh, anger, tears, and a summoning of security marked Friday's public hearing on what Ohio's next map of U.S. House districts will look like. You know, and, and again, these are just the headlines. Um, if you go to the Associated Press and put in the keyword search redistricting, you can get access to all of these articles uh, that, that I'm citing here. Uh, in in um, Iowa, uh, here we've got the case where redistricting will pit, uh, you know, members, uh, House members of the same party uh, against each other as, you know, a, a district is eliminated or districts are consolidated or the maps are redrawn 
there's another one where um, one of the representatives who was going to face um, a, a governor uh, has withdrawn f from the race because the new district map has moved her house. I'm sorry, she was uh, competing with another house representative. She's withdrawn from the race because the newly drawn district map moves her house out of the district that she was uh, going to represent. Um, you know, North Dakota, Governor Doug Burgum has signed the legislative redistricting bill that was overwhelmingly approved in the state legislature. Um, you know, and it was, re redistricting was among the main issues before the Republican-controlled legislature in its special session, which convened on Monday. So, you know, North Dakota has signed its redistricting map uh, into law. Uh, over in Wisconsin, the Republican-controlled Wisconsin legislator on Thursday gave final approval to the GOP's redistricting plans after maps per, uh, proposed by a nonpartisan commission were lambasted by several Democrats. So Democrats complained and the Republican um, uh, approved a GOP redistricting plan as a result. Uh, in California, newly released political maps from California's redistricting commission would leave some members of Congress without a political home and others to face off against colleagues in their own party in the 2022 midterm elections. Um, you know, so we've seen that in a couple of places. Florida has uh, taken its first step in drawing their new political maps on Wednesday. And other than adding a new congressional district in a Republican area of the state, uh, the Senate staff pr proposed maps that aren't overly gerrymandered. Uh, definitely one of the, the outliers in this, this process so far. Um, you know, again, another article talks about the protests going on in Utah over its maps. South Dakota uh, lawmakers, uh, and these all came out all of these came out within the last week to 10 days. South Dakota lawmakers passed new shaken up legislative map. Uh, South Dakota's legislature approved new political boundaries that are likely to shake up the state house after moderate Senate Republicans championed the proposal. Uh, the state's population has shifted toward urban areas in the last decade, and the map's proponents argued that new legislative districts had to reflect that change. Again, this is something we've seen in several states, uh, most notably in Texas, that has created some redistricting headaches for those states. Similarly, in North Dakota, uh, the Republican legislator there had to approve a new map uh, that reflected uh, continued, continued loss of political clout in rural areas due to population shifts in the past decade. Uh, down in Kentucky, Republican lawmakers hope to wrap up work relatively soon on a plan to redraw congressional and legislative boundaries in Kentucky. Uh, you know, proposed maps um, hope to wrap up and, and get those maps in place. And uh, no news on whether there's any controversy there, but I wouldn't bet against it. Um, you know, South Carolina's rapidly growing coastal and suburban population means there could be five House districts and one Senate district in the 2022 election where lawmakers are placing two incumbents according to the maps released by each cha chamber. Uh, North Carolina, uh, well positioned to pick up at least two House seats in next year's election, but it's not because the state is getting redder. The state remains a perennial battleground, battleground state closely split between Democrats and Republicans in elections, and the redistricting looks like it is going to weigh into that battle. Uh, even way up in Alaska, uh, divided Alaska, Alaska redistricting board voted Tuesday on House district pairings for the Senate seats uh, for Anchorage uh, area that one member said would leave open the board to an unfortunate and easily winnable argument of partisan gerrymandering. Uh, what does that mean? It means that uh, Alaska's redistricting plan is probably going to come under court scrutiny. Uh, in Georgia, the Georgia Senate voted 34 to 21 on Tuesday to pass Senate Bill 1EX, 
which would redraw district lines in the state Senate for the next 10 years in a way projected to give Republicans a 33 to 23 majority. Uh, let's see, South Dakota, Utah, and other articles following up. Uh, Montana. Democrats are disappointed with final Montana congressional districts. A new map dividing Montana into two congressional districts for the first time in decades was finalized Tuesday, triggering disappointment from Democrats who hope to craft a different Western district that would give them a better chance of winning an increasingly, increasingly, excuse me, Republican-dominated state. Um, and, you know, you get the, the gist of, of where it's going. A couple of other key uh, notes to point out here. Uh, and this one in Nevada, Asian Americans uh, push for representation via redistricting. As I said a few moments ago, uh, when we're talking about uh, redistricting and the struggles that we see, uh, it is not just African Americans that have the, the issue. Uh, and again, this from, from uh, Nevada, from Hamatrack, Michigan to Las Vegas, Nevada, activists are pushing states to ensure growing Asian American and Pacific Islander communities can be equally represented in government during the once in a decade redistricting process. Uh, much like Latinos, uh, Asian American Pacific Islanders, uh, otherwise known, you'll, you'll hear it mentioned as AAPI, uh, groups are also on the rise in this country and are looking for improved uh, representation you know, in, in the House uh, and in the state houses. So you, you get the idea and, and the gist of what's happening around the country with redistricting. And it is uh, something that you know, is, is going to be a subject of deep discussion uh, for a while. I'll post a link to this, uh, this directory in the AP so that you can go in, uh, dive down and read you know, the articles from around the country for yourself. Uh, what I've given you a, a very, very high view look at it. But you know, in, in reality, it just points out something we've talked about on this show many times in that uh, the major political parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, um, are both equally entrenched in their own uh, ideologies and ideological platforms and so forth. Uh, and it, it, it's clear that on both sides, you know, obviously the goal that these parties are really working toward is to uh, maintain increase and expand their own political power. Uh, the, the sacrifice for that increase in political power is that they are less and less inclined to listen to us, their constituents. Uh, we've seen this, and we've talked about this on this show many times, where you know, issues that have overwhelming public support, uh, you know, 75, 80% uh, poll numbers, uh, you know, across the country, across multiple polls, uh, clearly indicate, you know, strong public sentiment, uh, one way or the other for an issue, uh, do not show up as reflected in how our elected officials handle that issue when it comes time to vote. You know, it, it is clear the American people do not like uh, when the government has to shut down, but yet Republicans, Democrats, or Democrats and Republicans will play the game of holding the economy or holding the, the, the government hostage to a political point time and time again. We've seen it going back, you know, 20 years or more. Um, you know, and it just goes to show what one thing that we, the voters, can change is who represents us in our, our Senate, in our U.S. House of Representatives, in our governor's offices, in our state legislatures, in our city and county uh, elected officials' uh, ranks. And the key there is that we, the people, have to be engaged and communicating and involved. 
Um, if, if we are not happy with who is representing us or how they are representing us, it is up to us to exercise our control over those individuals through the vote process every election that comes up. And we are now moving headlong into the midterm political season. And it is time, it is past time for the, the public, for the voting public to make their voices felt, not just heard, but felt uh, with our elected officials. So as always, our call to action is get engaged, get educated, learn the positions, what do your elected officials stand for or stand against? How does that line up with how you feel? And if the two are not in agreement, then a change needs to happen. You need to find candidates that think the way you think, that vote the way you want them to vote, and elect them to office and replace the ones who ignore you. So, you know, that's the, that's the root of this show is, you know, empowerment to the people. So with that note, we'll wrap up this week's show. Everybody, please stay safe. You know, get vaccinated if you haven't been already. We are making good progress as a, as a country, but there are still pockets where we need to get more people vaccinated and more people following the science and medical guidelines, uh, you know, and, and hopefully get us over the hump and past this pandemic so that we can return to more like normal. Everybody, please stay safe. Have a good week. This is Steve. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. And I will look forward to speaking to every one of you again in seven days. Take care, everybody. Wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation we can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we're already late.